This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 60, Yoga, Body Neutrality, and Gender Questions. For this episode, I had the pleasure to sit down with Bethany C. Mayers. Bethany is the founder of the online sensation, The Become Project, is a master instructor and entrepreneur with a message known for inclusivity and body neutrality. Their unique approach to movement awakens client in profound ways, and Mayers' voice really stands apart in the fitness world as a leader in dismantling beauty standards. They are also a champion in the LGBTQ community. As always, I really appreciate your support with this podcast, whether it's through reviews or through Patreon. I have just added two new tiers of our premium membership. So as before, with a small donation of $5 a month, you can get access to more content, exclusive episode, tutorial, and guided meditations. And now with the two extra tiers, you can have access to some or all the classes we've been recording on Zoom and we'll continue to record in the future. So if you want to have access to all this content and or you want to just support me in the creation of this podcast, please visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat and become a premium member on any tier of your choice. Now, before we get to today's episode, I have one last announcement I'm super excited about. I am organizing an incredible yoga retreat for next year in Rishikesh, India. So if you've been craving to take your practice and life to a new level of mastery, this is really your chance to immerse yourself fully in this incredible yoga experience. The foothills of the Amelia is really the birthplace of yoga. You'll experience more profound levels of awareness and connection and learn to align truly with your inner guidance. So if you want to know more, or you want to reserve your spot, go to my website, ericabelanger.com, and then use the promo code COVID before August 31st if you'd like to save $255 on this retreat. All right, ready? Let's get to our episode of today with Bethany. Hi, Bethany. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. So, Bethany, for listeners that don't know you very well or don't know you at all, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your journey? Let's start with your yoga fitness journey. Oh, yes. The most loaded question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my name is Bethany C. Myers. I'm the CEO and founder of the Become Project. I'm an advocate for body neutrality. I am uh, recovered from eating disorders. I'm non-binary. My pronouns are they, them, and I have two very cute chihuahuas. <laughs> um, I've been working in fitness for a long time now. I mean, it's basically been my entire career. I never would have guessed I would have had a, a career in fitness, which I think makes sense because I feel like now there's so many more opportunities in the fitness world to like make this your job and make this, you know, your career. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been teaching from a really young age. I think, you know, well, my first job was answering phones at Domino's Pizza when I was 16. <laughs> but my second job <laughs> was uh, was teaching kids cheerleading and mm. uh, teaching gymnastics and like working. I taught like baby classes and toddler classes and teaching some sort of class was kind of how I paid my way through, um, you know, high school and through college. And that was my second income. I went to school for marketing and public relations. Mm-hmm. And um, I was living in Chicago at the time and hated Chicago, moved to Los Angeles once I graduated and was like, I'm going to work at my dream job. I'm going to like work in PR, all centered around like environmental work. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, on paper, I thought I had found my dream job, but like within the first four months, I mean, I just drove home in LA traffic, like bawling my eyes out, hating every single piece of it. I was in an office, I was in a cubicle, I was like trapped doing computer work I didn't love and not interacting with people. And, you know, since I've since learned that that's really where I thrive. So, um, my my jump into a fitness career happened when I quit that job and I started searching for work kind of in the intermediate teaching once again cheerleading gymnastics you know teaching for little kids and in that search I ended up coming across someone who was opening up a studio um, a boutique a boutique fitness studio is what we know it as now mm. at the time you know, this was over 10 years ago. So at the time, all that really existed was like gyms and yoga studios, right? Yeah. But this was kind of like a specialized Pilates done on this machine. Um, And I went in and I got the job. And the next day I went into the training, had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I learned, you know, and I ended up uh, very quickly realizing I was a natural instructor and I love to teach. And I ran like the studio management for this studio. And so I ended up kind of having this unique perspective on these studios that were opening. People are licensees. So all these different studios were opening around the country and they were looking for people to help support them. And I happened to have both a background of the workout and teaching the workout and also a background of like running one of these studios and opening them. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, I'm trying to like, I always try to cut this short story as short as possible <laughs> because I'm like, you could tell so many things. But from there, I kind of went around the country uh, teaching this workout. I was a master instructor. I went to New York and I developed all of the training curriculum for the instructors and um, and managed our 12 studios and the instructors there. And then I, I wanted to do my own thing. You know, mm. I think that a lot of people who have an entrepreneur, an entrepreneurial spirit, um, a lot of times we work for other people's brands and then you sort of have a moment where you're like, I want to work for my own brand. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to do this for totally. myself. Totally. And there was a couple of things that I, I knew that I wanted to do. Um, I knew that I wanted to take it online because I had clients all over the country and I really wanted to be able to give a- access to these people for my workouts. Mm-hmm. I also, um, at this time, was where I was really recovering from an eating disorder and like healing from the inside out and um, Mm -hmm. working to heal my relationship with food and my relationship with body. And I really started to, to, to realize that that message um, of body neutrality, I didn't even have a word for it at the time, Mm -hmm. but that message was not being reiterated in the fitness scene. And I certainly hadn't been upholding it as a fitness instructor. And I was like, wow, all of the messages about fitness and about movement are all about like getting skinnier or changing who you are, or like Mm -hmm. you have to go lower, push harder, do more, you have to do this challenge. You have to burn those calories. You have to get ready for a bikini body season, you know? Yep. And I, as I, as I was healing and working through this process, I realized how detrimental that message was to my own self. Mm-hmm. And I was like, can't we sell fitness with um, the motive of like making yourself feel good mm-hmm. and feeling really empowered and feeling strong in your body and, 
you know, um, how do we how do we shift the narrative? And that's kind of where the start of the Become Project was born. Mm-hmm. And um, essentially, now it's it's an online community of people. It's a subscription based service. We have 25-minute routines. It's a routine that you do all week long, so you watch yourself get better at it. Mm -hmm. Um, You're asked to check in with how you're feeling before and after the workout in Mm -hmm. hopes of like really connecting with self and how movement makes you feel. And it has been the most incredible, unbelievable, powerful experience, Um, mostly to have someone say like, no, you cannot sell fitness without promoting a strong message of weight loss. And then to be able to watch you were so told many that. people. I was told that, uh, yes, for uh-huh. sure. Like everyone, you know. Um, in fact, what happened I'm so was, annoyed. And, yeah, I know, right? It's, it's so ridiculous. Like everybody's like, I don't know. That's not the bread and butter. You know, like <sighs> if you don't do before and after pictures, how can you sell online Yeah, fitness? yeah, exactly. Um. And so we kind of did a beta. What we did is we did a beta project. I had no money and no idea how to start this. I just knew that I that I wanted to do this. So mm-hmm. I borrowed three thousand dollars from um, from my mom. <laughs> and thanks, mom. <laughs> thanks, mom. And that was also a tight bill for her. You know, I mean, I didn't come from like I didn't come yeah. from a lot. And um, and I was like, I, re- you know, I have this idea. I think it can work. So I borrowed three thousand. I borrowed five thousand dollars. I spent $3,000 on making four videos that I sold. Um, You know, you could like buy into a month. You got a new video every single week. And my idea was to kind of prove the point and be like, look, it works. And then take that to investors and be like, invest in me. Let's build something. Mm -hmm. And what happened was we sold that first month and it ended up selling like five times what I thought we would. And I was like, you know what? What if we just sold a couple more of these months? You know, what if we did this again? So we ended up doing three months. And within that time, we we ended up um, making enough money to be able to build the first iteration of the app, which was terrible, and <laughs> to also uh, start the website. So it really grew grassroots. And I just feel like, I feel like we touched on such a vulnerable and personal place with people where they were both loving their body and finding a new connection with movement. And that was so powerful, you know, that we were able to take it into into what it is now, which is still a baby. It's still investor free. It's still scrappy as can be, but it's small and mighty, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's very important. So that has Mm -hmm. such value to, you know, for people. Um, How can you... What's the shift? Like you talked about that shift of narrative. So what's the shift of narrative? How can we approach fitness and yoga with this more body neutral way of speaking? Like how can yoga teachers listening can reflect on their cues or the way they speak? Do you have any advice for that? Mm, Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, as a whole, I'm obsessed with language and I'm obsessed with how language affects the way that that people move specifically, mm-hmm. you know, if we're looking from an instructor standpoint. So for example, like instead of saying like grab the handles, I may say place your hands on the handles to avoid somebody like putting all that energy in their hands, you mm-hmm. know, and gripping too tight. I, like, I think about those things often. Mm-hmm. And I think that w- when it, um, when it comes 
to workout classes that one of the best things that we can do is we can honor where people's bodies currently are and both respect and allow space for them to be within their bodies while still pushing them. So sometimes I have this conversation with people and and I think it sounds like I'm trying to say we should read these like really easy classes, Mm -hmm. you know, that are like, do whatever Yeah, it's tricky to balance both for sure. Yeah, like if you want to stand up, stand up. And I don't think about it that way. I think more about like getting people into a position and then saying, okay, take a moment. What does that feel like? Mm-hmm. Can you feel it here? And would you feel it more if you got lower? Or do you need to come out of it a little bit more? Or do you need to stay right where you are? Yeah. Right? Like, I think that that's a way that we can both be forceful in what we want. You know, I'm using forceful in a good way here, but being like exact and purposeful in what we want uh-huh. them to feel. But then also creating space that's like, do you feel it there? Do you need to go lower? Do you need to stay where you are? You know, if you're feeling it, plank position. Like if you're feeling it in your neck, what happens if you take it down to your knees? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, whereas opposed to sometimes I think the language we often hear as a, in a class is like, if you really need to go to your knees, you can. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> like it's different. It's a yeah. different way of saying it as opposed to like giving permission. Something that I do is um, I work to kind of shift some of the language in the Become Project where it's like, I don't call it a modification. Uh-huh. I call it an alternative. Yeah. Because I think that modification can be like, oh, now I'm doing the easier version of this. And it's not necessarily about doing the easier version. It's about doing the version that's right for your body. Yeah. You know, like personally, side planks, I get more out of it when I do it on my knees. Mm. Just It just feels better and I feel it more, you know? So if I'm feeling it more in the right spot, it's not necessarily a modification. It's simply an alternative that's best for my body. Totally. Um, yeah. So it's way more mm-hmm. about understanding who you are and what you need and embodying the practice in a way that you can adjust for what will give you the most out of the practice. And it's not in a way to make it easier and give yourself permission to lean into resistance and not show up for yourself but it's in a way of doing doing it through respect and not like beating yourself up into something or shaming yourself into doing something or following because you think you should or you're supposed to or the person next to you is right Mm. right yeah there's such an idea in the fitness and in the wellness world that like shame and punishment will yield results yeah Totally. Which I think is very, it's very strange, you know, like when, like when you say it that way, it's like, wow, that is kind of what happens. And um, shame and punishment do not yield results. You know, they yield such a negative. They yield, the thing is that they yield result for a moment, but it's not result that's lasting because it comes from that place of shame and punishment. And right, you want to exactly. get out of there as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. So at the moment you get out of there, then it's not working anymore. And then right, you find yourself right. in this yo-yo or spiral or whatever, you know, your tendencies are. But right. yeah, it, the thing is that it does work. And so people attach to that. But how do we move mm-hmm. to another motivation, like another way to help us feel better? Like, how do we remember, oh, this actually makes me feel better. So I'm going to do it. Not because I am ashamed of what my body looks like now or X, Y, Z. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that takes a lot of time, patience and practice, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. what I love about body neutrality is that there's no expectation of perfect Whereas sometimes I maybe feel that idea from like body positivity, mm-hmm. you know. What's the difference um, for you between neutrality and positivity? Well, I think 
body positivity sort of insinuates this idea that we need to feel positive all the time Mm. about our body. You know, like we need to feel great about every single workout. We need to look in the mirror and feel happy about the way our body looks all the time. Like everything is sunshine and rainbows. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't live in that world. (laughs) Me neither. (laughs) And I I don't think any of us do. Like it's Uh unrealistic. So I do, I mean, I want to recognize that I think the body positive positive movement did incredible things, right? Like absolutely incredible things for so many people. Huge shifts, yeah. Um, Major, major shifts, super cultural shifts, which is incredible. And now we're just taking that a little bit further to more so say like, for me, body neutrality means that my body is just the container that I live in, right? Mm -hmm. Like the real me lives in. And this is kind of the vessel and it's the space, but it's not everything. And so it doesn't have to hold so much weight. Um, it's funny I use that word. It doesn't have to hold so much weight. It doesn't have to hold so much power. It's probably a better way to say that, you know, where our body defines everything. But yeah. like, no, this is just where we live. And like, I say this line all the time, but some days we res- some days we love our body, some days we hate our body, but every single day we respect our body, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really is what it's about. And um, I've seen through the Become Project, like, I'm thinking of this story. So before and after every routine, you, you, the, there's a question prompt and it says, uh, how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. And then you can check off different emotions that we have, or you can type in your own. And you do that at the beginning of the workout and at the end of the workout. So I had someone write in um, me a message and they said, I started the routine feeling sad and I finished the routine feeling sad. But the difference was that I gave myself the space and like allowed it to feel sad Mm. and it was okay. Mm. Whereas like the beginning of the routine was like, I feel sad and I, and I shouldn't maybe like, I want to fix this and I shouldn't. And instead of trying to be like, and now I feel happy, right? It's not about like, and now I feel happy. It's like, and now I am sad and that is okay. (laughs) And I have a new perspective on my experience. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And to me, like that so encompasses this idea of neutrality in whatever sense that we want to talk about it in. And here it's like a movement neutrality, you know, and, um, and like, that's okay. Do you find it's and kind of a coming back of that pendulum from like self-hatred to body positivity and now the neutrality is somewhere in the middle of that? I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do think it kind of rests in the middle. Um, I mean, I remember the first time I heard body neutrality and I was like, I don't get it. What are you saying? Like, I, like I can, meh? Like, I don't care? Like, it's not that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, I don't care. Or like, I'm just allowed to not like my body and that's okay. What's wrong with body positivity? And it was just like, <laughs> no, it's just like it is, you know, and like respecting the fact that we all have these fluctuations and we all have these ups and downs. And wow, like that permission, that realization, mm, it's powerful. actually similar to the feeling that I had when I like gave myself permission to eat any food. Yep. You know, even the quote bad ones, I have air quotes up, of but course. like to eat any food. And like the moment that I like fully submit submitted to that yeah um it was like whoa okay Uh huge weight a huge relief yeah so talking about that a little bit more so you mentioned that you 
struggle with eating disorder or you recovered from eating disorder, can you tell us a little bit more about it and how did your time through this, and I'm sure you're still going through it, I don't think it's something we, I don't know, in my own experience, because I have a background of eating disorders as well, in my own experience here, I don't feel fully recovered, like it's another Mm-hmm. part of myself that doesn't exist anymore it's still part of myself it's just different now but mm-hmm. um, what I wanted to ask you is what has it taught you about your body that now you take in into the way you teach and into the way you you know use this pro- this project to help other people because mm. um, it gives you a different perspective on things oh, at the totally, very minimum it gives a, yeah it gives a completely different perspective you know, one like little, very tangible point that's coming to mind is I've completely stopped commenting on people's bodies all the way around, mm-hmm. good or bad or, you know, anything, mm-hmm. um, especially in classes, right? Like I don't, like I talk about where you should feel it, yeah, but not, um, you know, this is birth in our thighs kind of thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and instead talk more about like the actual anatomy and the mechanics of what's happening. Um, but I, I realized through myself, like there was so many times when I was like really thin or really small because I wasn't eating or I was um, restricting or, you know, just really unhealthy habits. Mm -hmm. And it was those times I feel like, wow, you look great. (laughs) And I think as a society, right. One thing that I've noticed is as a society, when we see that somebody is looking really thin or their body shape has changed or they're smaller, even if we don't think it looks good, like even if you're like, holy shit, that person is too thin, mm-hmm. um, we still want, we still feel the need to say something about it. It almost feels strange not to say something about it. Yeah. Because we're just so, we're, you know, the thin ideal has been shoved into our brains since we were babies. And, and it's hard to even like come back. Just recently, I was in LA with a friend who I noticed looked different in size. Um, and I really had to bite my, I really had to think of other things to say, to not comment on the size. And I really think it's important that we don't, because we have no idea what someone is going through Mm -hmm. and the reason, you know, and them looking the way that they do. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, maybe they're doing their thing and they're living their best life, but like putting so much emphasis on body size is just really not right. Because a lot of times we're cause we're commenting on an illness or an eating disorder or a restriction or a sadness or a breakup or, you know, all of these, yeah. all of these things. Um, so, so that's one, one piece, I guess. And then as far as my journey goes, I really resonated with what you said about like, it's always a part of me, right? It's a piece of like who I am. Mm-hmm. And something that's happened. And yeah, I, I think that I constantly have conversations with myself mm-hmm. about like what I'm eating and how I'm working out and am I doing this for me? And like, yeah. what does this mean? And I don't know about you, but you know, right now we're in the middle of quarantine and in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure when this episode is releasing. It might um, be. Hopefully it's done by the Hopefully it will be. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Um, But wow, like I have had to really, really, really practice Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. during this time. You know, I think that it, that it just touches on so many levels for different people. Um, You know, I think body checks and these things that 
those who are eating disorder recovered, right? I'm putting that in quotes, are working on recovery. Um, On the path of recovery. These habits, on the path of recovery, there it is. These habits are old. Oh my God. They're so old and they're They're so so ingrained. Mm -hmm. They're so grooved in and they're so soothing. And so it makes sense that right now we're struggling more with those things because we're having to like dive back into them and, um, and realize that those are self, those are coping mechanisms mm-hmm, that we mm-hmm. tend to use. So I know that I've really had to kind of battle with that. And I think because my anxiety is heightened, it's been harder to eat. It's been harder to consume food. Um, and so it's been a lot of like really allowing myself comfort foods like cinnamon toast crunch. Mm. It's been like there was a couple of days where that was like the only thing I could stomach. And so I had to send that cinnamon toast crunch so much love and so much, so much joy and be like, thank you for being the thing that I can eat right now. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's hard. It's just hard. <laughs> yeah. So how do we move society wise? Like, or how do we move the society needle on fat? Phobia. You know, what can we do as individual? You said you mentioned like not commenting on other people's appearance as the first, like, wow, you lost weight. You're amazing. Right. But I'm sure there's other things we can start to think about or consider in the way we think, act, talk to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what keeps me up at night, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's why I'm talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's big answers and there's small answers. You know, how do we dismantle yeah. fat uh-huh. phobia? We smash the patriarchy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's a big answer. That's a big answer. Um, smaller answers and things that we can do. Yeah, it's not commenting on people's body size. Um, it's definitely one. For me, as a business owner, I think that visibility everything. So the more different size mm, bodies I can mm-hmm. show, the better. And that's something that I really, really make a commitment to because look, I live in a I live in a small body. And mm-hmm. there are things that people who live in large bodies have had to experience that I will never be under able to understand. Right. Like that is mm-hmm, that is then mm-hmm. privilege that if you're in a smaller body, that's what you have. Um, but that doesn't mean that I can't do my part to give other people a face and a platform and a voice in this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the fitness world so needs to see more bodies. Clothing has done somewhat of a better job of it. I think like, you know, New York Fashion Week, we saw more representation than we ever have. So mm-hmm, I think it's mm-hmm. getting better for sure. Um, but in the fitness space, that's definitely still a spot that I kind of see lacking. And so I um, use our clients as representative people, you know, of different body shapes and sizes that are yeah. that are doing it. Because they're actual real people. Totally. Exactly. You know, I mean, we don't yeah. use fitness models, which is important. So I, so I do think it's getting better. There's still a lot more work to be done. And visibility is something to me that is mm-hmm. like one of my main things. I'm also starting to get my hands wet with, um, I'm not there yet. So I I was recently connected with someone who is a college graduate. They are working to create a bill to change legislation that would require Mm -hmm. eating disorder conversations and these uh, health at every size and these conversations to basically be added to middle school curriculum. 
Mm, um, that'd be good. Which to me is it's almost like, late already, but it would be good. Yes, yes. To me, that's like that's how we really, really see change. We have to go young. We have to go into future mm-hmm. generations. We have to start mm-hmm. with it there. So, like my current job yeah. right now, I feel like is helping the moms talk better about their bodies around their children. And um, then I, you know, and then I think we try to find ways that we actually infiltrate the system. So that is not something I started yet, but it's, it's definitely like my next passion project thing that I would, I would love to do. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I'll stay posted. Yeah, I'll keep you posted, (laughs) especially for you and all of your listeners. If there's, you know, more to be done there, I'm I'm supposed to be having a conversation this week. So exciting. Awesome. Yeah. Um, in your intro, you said one more thing I wanted to touch on before we wrap this up, and you define yourself as non-binary using pronouns they and them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on your IG, you describe yourself as, you write, um, queer, poly, married, non-binary, non-binary, they, them. And then you add, if that scares you, I'll make it not. <laughs> so let's talk about that a little bit. I love that little end of just like, let's, I'm open to conversation. And, you know, if you're uncomfortable, let's talk about it. So. Um, What's the one question people ask you the most often when answering to that, you know, opening invitation? Um, oh, the one question I get asked the most often. <laughs> one question you receive often. Doesn't yeah. have to be like the number one. <laughs> I get a lot of questions about polyamory for sure. Um, non, you know, ethical non-monogamy or however mm-hmm. um, you want to say it. I get a lot of questions that I can't really answer to be completely honest, you know. I think that the idea of um, helping somebody be less scared of something is really about learning and mm-hmm. um, getting to know someone. You know, fear is so based in the unknown. And yeah. at the end of the day, like, I think that, yeah, on paper, there's a lot of stuff that feels like really quirky and off and weird. But like the the real me is of kid that was raised in the Midwest in a small town and, you know, has just been like figuring it out as I go. Um, and I mm-hmm. have a relationship that's filled with a lot of love. And I think that the more like people see Nico and myself and um, it, it helps, it helps kind of ease that fear, you know? Totally, totally. Exactly why I wanted to talk about it. The more you talk about it, the more normal it, you know, it becomes to you, to your reality and the less disconnected you feel right or scared or right yeah for sure Mm -hmm. um and then you know I think non-binary is like a word that we're seeing more and more often it's a word that I definitely resonate with when you said the intro you said you define yourself as non-binary and that word define um stuck out to me because Mm. uh define like feels so definitive you know and oh okay uh, and Mm -hmm. I'm not like I'm not, I'm not coming down on you at all. Like, yes, essentially, oh, no, like, I, I, I do mm-hmm. define, you know, but it was just interesting. Like when I heard it, I recognized like, wow, define. Um, I love to think about gender as being super, super fluid. And I really feel like the more people dive into gender and what it means and what it is, the more people are like, oh, maybe it is a little bit more fluid than what I initially thought. Um, mm-hmm. But I really think kind of like the body neutrality conversation that we had earlier, I think sometimes like gender can really put things into a box. Like I'm either this or yeah. this, right? And because mm-hmm. I am mm-hmm. female, I shave my legs and I shave underneath my arms and my hair is long and I wear makeup and I wear dresses. I do all these things. And because I'm male, I like do all these things and I act these ways. And like, 
even coming out from a bigger scope right outside of the queer lens, I think the world would be a better place if we really started to dismantle some of these boxes that exist within gender. And we're seeing this happen with like, let mm-hmm. girls be assertive, let boys be feminine, you know, like, what would that mean for toxic masculinity? What would that mean for rape culture? Like, I mean, there's so many places yeah. where this delves into. So I, part of my like passion of a non-binary label and part of the reason I like it so much is that I think it sort of breaks the, it breaks the rules, you know, and it makes you think Mm -hmm. more about like, okay, but what exactly does it mean to be a girl if we're looking at just outside of genitalia, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, (laughs) Which like really when you start to break down the whole gender conversation, it comes down to what's between your pants. And I'm like, yeah, Mm -hmm. but what's, what's between your ears, you know? Yeah, there's so much more than that. So let's talk about that a little bit. Gender, there's body, there's identity, and then there's your social expression of it. Mm-hmm, look at you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the things that I think people don't really understand, you know, about gender mm-hmm. that tends to be the most eye-opening thing that I often share with people is like, there's your gender assignment, that, and that's what at birth, right? The doctor picks you up, looks in yeah. between your legs, and it's like, boy, girl. Um, Mm -hmm. which side note, there are as many intersex people. So intersex, meaning you don't carry just male or female, uh, chromosomes. You maybe have, um, two pieces of like there's all there's, you can all look up exactly what defines an intersex person, but, um, intersex, intersex people are the same amount as redheads. Wow, I didn't know that. And so, like, it's way more common than what we realize. But, Uh like, when you're born, doctors are not testing your chromosomes, you know? Like, it's a Mm -hmm. really fascinating piece. Mm -hmm. So there's there's your gender assignment at birth. Then there's your gender gender identity, which is how you actually identify. So, like, I identify as non-binary. Do you identify as female? I do. So you identify as female, right? Like there's how you actually identify and then there's gender expression, which is how you express yourself to the world. So do, you know, how you dress, how you present, those are more the visualizations of what we see as male or female. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the more we can understand those three pieces, the more it may help people kind of understand non-binary. Feel more comfortable, Feel more comfortable. with the concept. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Because it all comes down to congruence and how, you know, it's not just a choice or a trend. And I hear people say that, but <laughs> so I wanted to touch on that um, that aspect of congruence between what you choose to show and what you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think sometimes those depends on the person. Sometimes those are very related, and sometimes they're very different. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. you know, to say totally. you know, totally. that's a huge yeah. factor. Um, yeah. I feel so grateful to live in New York city and be in this place where like, that's okay. But I didn't come mm-hmm. from that, like even a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, I came from a really small town. I was raised extremely conservative and I was raised extremely, extremely religious. Um, you know, I was knocking on doors on Saturdays and Sundays up until I was like 16 years old asking if mm. people were going to heaven or hell. So the way that I currently live now would not have flown 
would not fly in my small town, you know, where I'm from. Yeah. Um, and so I think about that a lot and I, I recognize that piece of people that don't necessarily have the freedom to be able to express the way that they want because of safety. And then I think that there's also things we just can't express the way that we want because we don't even know all the options, you know? Yeah, totally. Like I started growing out my leg hair last year. I was like, I'm not going to shave because I don't really want to. Shaving is a pain in the ass. I have really thick hair. I do it twice a day if I want smooth legs you know it's just like this annoying piece and um it's as small as it is it it's it was like a really big deal for me you know like it felt it's still radical yeah so radical it still does feel radical sometimes you know like yeah I I don't know it's an interest it's one of those things that's so interesting it's like it's so small and yet it affects us so big and that's where you know that like society is playing a huge role in this (laughs) oh my god yeah like you can hear yourself judging yourself you're like why I'm choosing this what's happening why am I talking to myself like this and like why Mm -hmm. why did I have feelings of disgust looking at my hairy legs but like not feelings of disgust looking at my brother's hairy legs right it wasn't the actual hair that's the problem (laughs) yeah 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 yeah, totally Um, one thing that I'd like to touch on before we finish is the use of pronouns, because I think that's one thing that trips people up mm-hmm. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you have anything to say about it. It, it seems like so simple. Like, I, I don't even want to ask, like, how do you use them? Because they're regular pronouns. But I feel like, <laughs> I don't know if you have anything to say about that. I have so much to say about this. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because I find the pronoun thing like really fascinating because yeah. it's it's so hard to it is really hard to change at first um it takes practice yeah. and I think that a lot of times people get like defensive about it and they maybe like feel mad about it or they feel insecure about it maybe there's some feelings of like shame tied in there and I I think it's because it's like I am trying to say a very simple sentence he came over (laughs) and like, you know, whatever I'm trying to say this very simple sentence in my native language and I can't (laughs) get it out. And so I kind of equate it to like learning a new language, you know, like maybe Mm -hmm. when you're learning Mm -hmm. Spanish, you're not able to like conjugate all the verbs correctly or something. (laughs) Right. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm saying this simple thing and I can't say it. Right. And so I actually think it's very similar to something like that. And so it's not about being perfect. It's not about hitting every single day and pronoun and getting it right. It's just about making the effort, you know, and there's a really big difference from like people who want, who are trying to make the effort and want to make the effort. And then people who are like, I just don't care at all. And I'm not even going to try to attempt, you know? Um, So my suggestions, if you're trying to work on they, them pronouns are to practice reading a book where you change every single pronoun to they, them. It'll give you time to like visually see it. And it's a good exercise Uh, to Uh practice writing sentences on paper and saying them out loud. Um, Anytime that you feel like you're in a conversation. So like real life stuff, you're not just practicing and you're um, not sure. Just replace the person's name with the pronoun. So basically it would be like. Bethany is coming over here, blah, blah, blah. And Bethany did this. And then Bethany's dog came with Bethany to the house. Like, 
you'll end up yeah. repeating the person's name so many times that you'll actually be <laughs> speaking a different way <laughs> yeah. to try to say it. So then it'll sort of force you into using that name and pronoun. And then the most important thing is if you mess up, um, you don't have to do a long apology. You don't have to be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, because it kind of makes the conversation feel awkward for the yeah, person yeah, who yeah. has it, right? Like, I don't want to monopolize the conversation with I'm sorry. Instead, just correct it and move on. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that this actually works really beautifully. So my team um, at the Become Project, I have every, we always refer to everyone as they then until we're certain of pronouns. So like if a client writes mm. in with an email, I, you know, work with my team to be like, not she, they, 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 you know, until we've like asked or we know. And it's mm-hmm. really cool to watch people come in who have no experience using they, them pronouns, no knowledge of it. And then to watch how quickly they catch on and, mm. um, and then how like as a collective, if we mess it up, like I mess it up sometimes too, you know, I'll be like, oh, she wrote in, mm-hmm. I mean, they wrote in and they da, 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 and we just move forward with it. And I think that's yeah. a really beautiful way to begin to, um, to practice. Great tip. That's amazing. <laughs> I love this conversation. I feel like we can chat for two more hours. I know, but seriously. I, <laughs> we will have to wrap it up. So if there's anything you want to add before we finish, I don't know if there's like one takeaway you'd like listeners to leave with or something important I haven't touched on. Give yourself a lot of patience. Be kind to yourself. It's a journey. Um, mm-hmm. And it's okay if you're not there yet, you know, and also like I don't have it all figured out. I really try to drive that point home anytime I do something because it's honest. You know, and sometimes we, we look are at all it, on a journey. Yeah, sometimes we look at people online and you just think, oh, they, everything must be figured out. It's not. Um, and if you're interested in doing the Become Project, I'd love to have you as a client. So thebecomeproject.com, you can try it 10 days for free. I don't mean to make this sound so salesy, but, you know, if you want to test no, it out. it's your chance. Go ahead. <laughs> body neutral movement yeah. that may um, be great for some of your people out there. <laughs> totally. And so, of course, I'll put the link for that in the show notes. Is there another place you'd like people to reach out to you if they want to connect, if they want to ask more questions, or they want to work with you in some other capacity? Uh, my Instagram's at Bethany C. Myers, and Great. I'm pretty easy to find online. So I'd love to, I'd love to meet you all. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. This was very a pleasurable episode to record with you and chat. Well, thank you so much for um, for giving me the space, you know, and and the platform to be able to speak on. It's wonderful. Of course. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen. And if you wanted to continue, please don't forget to visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat. You can donate or become a premium member and get your hands on all our exclusive content, including all the new Zoom classes. Check out the show notes to find more info about our guests of today, Bethany C. Mayers, or my top five biggest takeaways from this episode. Before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to Alexander Saba, working in the background, creating the music, editing, and mastering this podcast. Once again, thank you for listening in, and until next time, 